This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate a few minutes of your time this morning as we talk about the things going on in sports around the country. And, and I guess we can't talk about that unless we talk about the weather. And the weather has uh, played some havoc on the sports scene down in the state of Texas. Um, I was watching uh, the Today Show this morning, and, you know, we, we're we kind of up here in the northeast. You know, we get a snowstorm or an ice storm. It's kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. You know, it's kind of what we're used to. Uh, they're not used to that down in the state of Texas. The power grid in Texas, I guess they're not kind of, I didn't know this, but Texas has its own power grid they're not kind of part of the national power grid they have they do their own thing down in texas shocking i know um but there are millions of people without power down there because the snow and the ice and the cold weather have caused equipment to fail and so uh there are people down there they're in the deep freeze they have snow i mean they have streams that are frozen over it never happens it, i mean it's unbelievable the stuff you're seeing down there again you know up here we get six eight inches of snow it's like yeah okay whatever people people in maine laugh at that but down there it's a crisis so in the state of texas i mean they had to postpone the uh the dallas game last night um or and they had to postpone an, an nhl game the college basketball schedule's a mess but the Mavericks and Pistons were supposed to play, um, and uh, the, they announced that it was uh, canceled or postponed because of a government shutdown of American Airlines Center. Uh, the league didn't elaborate what that's all about, but regardless, I mean, it's just, it's a zoo down there. I mean, they had, they had snow in West Texas. They don't get snow in West Texas, you know? They snow in Louisiana. I mean, it's just insane. So uh, that that has caused some problems, uh, obviously. Um, the other problems they've had in Texas, how about Baylor? Baylor hasn't played basketball since the 2nd of February, and they announced yesterday that they are going to be back playing again on February 23rd. So they are going to have a – it will end up being a three-week layoff for the number two team in the country. Look, they're 17-0, 9-0 in conference play, and their last game was against Texas on February 2nd. You know, God knows, you know, I mean, they're not going to be able to make up the games that they missed. There's not enough time between the start of the conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament for them to do that. But, you know, so, but they're finally going to get back playing. And, you know, you just wonder how much rust they're going to have to, to shake off. Look, the UConn Huskies have had a couple of shutdowns this year. Now, they only lasted, you know, 10 days, two weeks. And they showed rust when they came back. Um you know, Baylor, the number two team in the country, the good news for them is is um, 
you know, they'll have a chance to kind of ease back into it a little bit before the uh, Big 12 tournament starts on March the 1st. But, uh, man, I'll tell you what, it's just uh, uh, tough times down in Texas. Uh, and speaking of Texas, the San Antonio Spurs have had four players test positive for the coronavirus. So they will not play until the middle of next week at the earliest because they're going to have to get additional testing done. These guys are going to have to test negative before they're going to be allowed to play. And a matter of fact, um, there were some other games because of that that have been postponed because the, uh, uh, the Charlotte Hornets were supposed to play Chicago tonight and Denver on Friday. They are not playing because they were the last team to play against the Spurs. They played them on Sunday. So they are just, you know, with, because of contact tracing, et cetera, they're just being cautious. And so a bunch of games are going to be postponed here in the next week or 10 days. Look, the NBA has been lucky. The NHL has been lucky. We've seen a handful of games that have had to be postponed. Nothing bad. Um, and the NBA is not going to tell you who is tested positive. They, they have a, uh, uh, policy where they don't do that. So we don't know who it was. Um, but you know, again, if this is the worst that happens, they've done well. One of the thing that's a big controversy right now in the NBA is that they're actually going to have an all-star game. And I got to be honest, I don't get it. I don't understand why they feel they need to do this because they're also not going to sell tickets. So what's the point of having an all-star game if you're not going to sell tickets and, you know, nobody's going to be there, um, you know, and the Atlanta mayor, Keisha Lance Bottoms is like, hey, look, don't come to Atlanta planning on coming here to party. Please don't come to Atlanta. You know, and some of the NBA players themselves have been critical of the fact that the NBA wants to have an all-star game. They don't understand it either. Um, you know, and NBA is like, well, we're going to have, you know, strict you know protocols, you know, for the all-star events. You know, players are going to, uh, they're going to be allowed to have a few guests. That's it. Everybody that's coming has to go either on a private car or a private plane. They can't fly commercial. Uh, so, you know, uh, they're going to, the only fans that are going to be there, they're going to allow some vaccinated frontline workers. Uh, they're going to be invited to attend, but they're not going to sell any tickets at all. So I don't understand why the NBA is doing this. And frankly, if you're a player and you're saying, well, okay, wait a minute, I got to either, you know, use a, my own private plane or hire a private plane or, or drive in my own car to do this. Well, why? You know, I, so it seems kind of silly to me, but yeah, what the hell do I know? Uh, some good news here in the state of Connecticut. Uh, Governor Lamont announced yesterday that he is planning on easing some of the restrictions a month from now, on March the 19th, uh, some of the restrictions on the size of gatherings, public gatherings, is going to be relaxed. This is a huge thing for local restaurants. They're going to be allowed to stay open until 11 o'clock. They're currently having to close between 9 and 10 o'clock. That is going to help them get additional business. Uh, he is talking about loosening restrictions on attendance at sporting events. So uh, so maybe some some college basketball games late in the season, you know, maybe the, the start of the NCAA tournament or the, uh, the conference tournaments, people will be allowed to go to games. 
Um, the Hartford Yard Goats are going to open up their season the first part of April. Maybe we'll be able to have some fans at some Yard Goat games in Hartford uh, or the, you know, the, the New Britain Bees. And, you know, so it'd be nice uh, if that happens. Right now, see, we're lucky here in the state. Um, our daily positivity rate is below 3%. It has been for a while, and I think we're at 2.8% now. And the neighboring states, by the way, New York, Massachusetts, they're kind of along the same lines, so that's why they feel they can start to ease this up a little bit. Uh, The other people that are relieved, uh, wedding venues, they are getting absolutely hammered. And uh, if if we stay where we are, um, Governor Lamont has said indoor capacity for private events at commercial venues will be uh, increased to 50%, capped at 100 people, and outdoors you're going to be allowed up to 200 people. So it's a start, right? It's a start. And uh, it looks like they're talking now that they they were hoping that we were going to have open season for vaccinations you know, sometime in April where anybody that wanted one could get one. Now the government is saying it's probably going to be closer to July before that happens, but uh, they're saying by July – There'll be 600 million doses in the United States enough to vaccinate everybody. You know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, and along with what the governor is planning on doing, you know, the other part of this that I don't understand, I've never understood, is that the state allows families to opt out of vaccinations for their children that attend public schools. Now, a- on religious grounds. Okay, now here's the here's my issue with this. I th- let me start by saying, this is not. I am not anti-religion. Okay, um, this is not that. This is all of a sudden. These religious, quote unquote, religious exemptions have gotten out of control. You know, it used to be where there would be a handful of these. There are some districts in this state where up to 25% of the parents are asking for religious exemptions for vaccinations. That's ridiculous. Now, I'm a practicing Christian. I, I go to, an, to uh, an Anglican church. I was raised Catholic. Catholic Church doesn't say you can't have vaccines. Neither does the Baptist Church, neither does the Episcopal Church. Uh, most, most churches don't tell you you can't have a vaccine. Um, and now all of a sudden, everybody wants this exemption because social media has done this. These anti-vax people have gotten onto Facebook and have gotten onto Twitter, and people are buying this stuff. Now, I have to, look, full disclosure, my wife is anti-vaccine. And it's not, but it's not because of religion. My wife believes that the vaccines, and I'm not talking about the one for the coronavirus because this one is engineered differently, but the vaccines for like uh, uh, the measles and chicken pox and all those things. And her, by the way, her kids were vaccinated when they were young, but her kids started having reactions to some of these things. And, you know, there's been uh, people that have claimed that it leads to autism and all kinds of other things. Now, there's been other studies that have debunked that completely, but there are people that believe that my wife thinks that there are some behavioral and medical issues related to these vaccines and she doesn't, you know, she doesn't want to get them. 
you know, and and if I think if we were young and we had kids now, she would be an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> and I love my wife and we have conversations about this all the time. And I have shown her articles from from, um, you know, major medical institutions that have debunked this whole thing about the tie between autism and vaccinations. And she's not buying it. So, you know, and that's her right. You know, and I love my wife. It has nothing. But my concern here is that when you have, when you go from a situation in the state of Connecticut where we had, you know, let's say 1% of all the parents in the state that were trying to get a religious exemption for a vaccination, and now all of a sudden we're jumping up to 5, 10, 15%. There's something wrong here, and you're not going to tell me it's a religious exemption. There's something else going on. You know, and this is about social media pressure and this is about stuff that it has nothing to do with a religious exemption. And I'm sorry, folks, if you want your kids to go to public school, they need to be vaccinated. And, and why? Because in order for these vaccines to be effective, we have to have what is called herd immunity. You've heard that a lot during the, the coronavirus. They, we need 75 to 80 percent of people to be vaccinated ideally more than that, to have herd immunity so that there is not a chance for a mass outbreak in a community. Look, in the state of Connecticut last year, we had we had measles cases. Measles! We suddenly had, you know, five, six, seven kids in a district with measles. We've had a vaccine for measles for years. And now all of a sudden, you know, we have to worry about an outbreak of measles in our state. And yet we still have people saying, but I don't want my kid to get vaccinated. It's not just about your kid. It's about all the other kids in that live there. I'm sorry. Unless you have a medical reason why you, your kid can't get vaccinated, and there are going to be some where kids will, are going to have reactions to things like this. I get that. But unless it's that, you get vaccinated. Or you know what? Homeschool your kid. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't, you know... Uh, I just it bothers me. And so there's a big thing going on as the state of Connecticut is considering a bill that will uh, get rid of the religious exemption here in the state of Connecticut. And, you know, there's a couple of thousand people that are, you know, got the pitchforks and the burning people in effigy kind of thing ready to ready to storm the Capitol. But that's what we've come to. And we're so divided in this country, right and left. That you can't have any kind of a logical conversation about anything, you know. But I'm sorry, you know, to me, this, it's not, it's kind of like the mask wearing thing, folks. It's not about you. It's about your neighbor. You don't want to wear a mask. You know, it's about your neighbor. So that if you have something, you don't spread it to your neighbor. So if you don't get your kid vaccinated for measles, you know, and a bunch of other kids in that district don't get their kids vaccinated for measles, and you're going to go around and you're going to infect your neighbor. I don't, I don't get that. I don't get the thinking, which you know, and it's all selfish. It's all about this is what I want, and screw everybody else. Well, if that's the way you feel, go live on an island somewhere by yourself, just you and your family. But if you want to go to public school, you know, and you want to use public, you know, facilities. There are costs to that, you know, and that includes doing simple things like getting vaccinated. I'm sorry that the whole and I, 
my my wife's not listening. She's at work, you know, and I, I'm not trying to kill Barb, you know, but if she, you know, if she believes that strongly about aunt, that, that vaccines cause autism and yet there are all kinds of scientific studies that say that they don't cause autism, there's no direct link, but she's still going to believe that there's nothing I can do to change that. But if you follow the science, there is value to vaccinations. And suddenly having 25% of the, the families in one school district say, we want a religious exemption for our kids, that smells fishy to me. It doesn't smell like a religious exemption. It smells like a, uh, a quote-unquote religious exemption, just a, an excuse to be different and to be selfish and say, I want to do things my way. So get a vaccination for God's sake. And, and as far as this coronavirus vaccine, it's, com- it's manufactured completely different. You know how most vaccines are about, you know, you have the weakened strain of the virus in there. And so that's how your body builds up the, you know, the immunity to it. That's not how the coronavirus one works. The coronavirus one is basically kind of a gene therapy and it, it they're manufactured different. So, you know, try to separate out the anti-vaxxers as far as measles, mumps and all the other stuff, you know, when it comes to the coronavirus, when it comes time for your shot, get the shot, get the shot. You know, I was up in the, I was kind of up in the air whether I was going to do it or not, but get the shot for God's sake. You know, you want to get back to, you want to stop this, this, you know, wearing masks and you want to get back to being able to go to concerts and get, 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 get the damn shot. Okay. I'm awful angry this week. Uh, <laughs> one other quick note. Uh, the, Madison, Madison Square Garden in New York has announced they are going to start allowing fans. Uh, big step in the city of New York. Um, the Knicks are going to be the first to allow fans um, at MSG on February 23rd. Uh, it's, they're only going to allow 2,000 fans per game. Season ticket holders and suite members are going to get first priority, but uh, they are going to allow 2,000 fans. What's that mean? Well, you want to go, you got to bring proof of a negative test that was taken within 72 hours of the game. Um, so that's number one. Uh, you have to have your temperature checked at the door. You have to wear your mask all the time except when actively eating or drinking. So, uh, you know, and by the way, when you bring the test, it has to, the name on the test has to match your driver's license. You can't, hey, can I borrow your test so I can go to the game? Uh, but it, it's a big step. So the, the Knicks first and then the Rangers will start allowing fans you know, and again, this gives me hope when the baseball season starts, since baseball, especially since baseball's outside, you know, I'm hoping at least, you know, maybe they'll allow 25% capacity. That's what the um, Miami Marlins have announced they're going to do as far as their games go. They're going to allow 25% capacity. I'm hoping that's what we'll get to around the league. And, and hopefully, you know, maybe by the end of the summer, we're up higher than that, but it's a start. It's a start. Um, all right. Uh, did a high school basketball game last night. It was great to be able to do that again. Uh, got home in time to watch the second half of the UConn men's game. And it was great to see last night, James Booknight, who has been out for four weeks after surgery on an hyperextended elbow. We've come to find out it wasn't just a hyperextension. He had a bone spur in there as well. Uh, so that's been cleaned up, but he played last night. And it was a very productive 24 minutes. He had 18 points in 24 minutes off the bench. Um, shot well, seven of 13, crashed the boards, had a couple of great driving layups, looked like the guy that we know is going to be 
an NBA lottery pick when he decides he's going to come out and play. Uh, look, they went four and four without him. But if they're going to make any kind of a run in the Big East tournament or in the NCAA tournament, they have to have him. There's no question. With him in the lineup, they're six and one, right? I mean, they're ten and five overall, but they're six and one when James Booknight plays. So you know, there's no question that they need him back. Tyrese Martin played well last night, had 18 points, um, 16 of those in the first half that helped UConn build a, uh, a six-point halftime lead. They led by double digits for most of the second half. Uh, Providence never really had a chance in this one. They couldn't really get back into it. This avenged the loss. They lost to ele- by 11 uh, to Providence just six days ago without book night. This looked like a completely different team last night. And it was good to see. And and the UConn, it wasn't just the fact that Book Knight was back. They played great defense. They out rebounded Providence. They held Providence to thirty six percent shooting. Uh, they did all the little things last night they needed to do. It was also nice to see they got a good uh, a good night out of Josh Carlton, a kid that has kind of gotten buried on the bench. Well, he comes off the bench last night, plays ten minutes, had seven rebounds and seven points in ten minutes. Uh, it was great. Had a couple of block shots. Isaiah Whaley played well last night. You know, it didn't show up necessarily on the scoreboard. He only had four points, but six rebounds, a couple of assists. He had three block shots. You know, so the defense was there, and that's really the trademark of Danny Hurley's teams is their defense. But obviously having an offensive weapon like Book Knight back uh, is huge. And, and it was a little bit scary in this game. Uh, Book Knight went with about six and a half minutes to go. Booknight had to leave the game. He was supposed to shoot free throws, and it looked like he had done something perhaps to his hamstring or the back of his knee, limping really bad, couldn't flex the legs. He couldn't stay in the game to even shoot the free throws. They had to take him out. Come to find out at the end of the game, it was just cramps. You know, and look, the kid sat for a month, you know, and you can you can ride a bike as much as you want, but, you know, there's no substitute for playing at full speed in game action and he was just gassed so thank god because that's the first thing with six and a half minutes to go he's going down and everybody's like oh you know if he's hurt now after this you know just you know hang it up for the rest of the season but fortunately it was just a cramp so good to see uh UConn will have a few days off before they're back in action again but uh, with James Booknight back, if you're a Husky fan, you got to feel really good about their chances. Uh, the UConn women, the number one team in the country, will play tonight. Uh, they will play St. John's. That game will be over at the end of the first quarter. I mean, St. John's is just, they can't. They, <laughs> this is not going to be close. This is going to be one of those 40-point wins for UConn tonight. But, you know, after becoming after a couple of tough games last week and getting to number one in the nation, it'll be nice to have a little bit of a breather tonight. Um, you know, as they uh, get ready for the Big East tournament. It's 28 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. I was just watching a uh, a thing on the Today Show while we were on break, um, and they were showing this, uh, this family down in Texas uh, where there's millions of people without power because of all the winter storms that have rolled through there. Uh, and, you know, again, they're not – you know, you may, maybe used to a little bit of cold. They're not used to the deep freeze they've had and, and the ice and the snow. And But there's one family, they said they've had four hours of power in the last three or four days. That's mm-hmm. insane. You know, uh, and, I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, an, it's a, 
I don't want to say it's a normal thing, but it's a common thing here in the Northeast where people have generators. And I'm, I'm thinking maybe down there they don't because they're not used to this kind of thing. But, you know, I mean, I've got a generator. If uh, we lose power, you know, I've got my generator. Now, it's not going to run my furnace, but I've got an electric heater, you know, or, or an electric fireplace. I've, you know, it'll run my refrigerator. Uh, you know, it'll run some lights. You know, I mean, it, it'll do enough to keep me going and so that we don't freeze to death. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe that's not a common thing down in Texas. I don't, I don't know, but you know, they're saying that, uh, it could be days for some people to still get their power back. It's supposed to warm up in the next couple of days, I guess, but, uh, only into the, uh, the forties and low fifties is not going to get, you know, suddenly turn 80 degrees and everybody's going to be okay. So, uh, just gotta, you know, keep praying for those folks down there, but (laughs) leave it to Texas to have their their own power grid. They don't, they are not part of the national power grid and, um, they were not prepared for this for whatever reason, you know, again, they don't get this kind of weather. So maybe their equipment's not built to handle. I don't know. Or, or maybe it's just gotten old, like so much of the other infrastructure around this country. So anyway, uh, back to sports, the uh, Boston Celtics last night got a much needed win. Uh, you know, the Celtics were eight and three. You know, they started the season eight and three. Everybody's like, yeah, you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to be one of the, you know, three or four best teams in the NBA. Since then, the Celtics are six and 10, and that's after winning last night. It has been a struggle for Boston. They win last night. They beat a pretty good Denver Nuggets team last night, 112 to 99. Uh, Jalen Brown with 27 points, uh, eight assists. Um, they needed every point they could get from him. Jason Tatum had 21. Didn't shoot especially well. Uh, six of 18, one of eight from three. I was eight for eight from the line. But uh, So those two guys combined for 47. Uh, they just barely outscored Nikola Jokic from Denver. He had 43 on his own. How about this line? 43 points, six rebounds, five assists, a couple of steals, a block, sold some popcorn, shot 16 for 23 from the field. Three of five from three and eight from eight from the line. Have a day. And by the way, that's his third 40-point game of the season. You know, but fortunately, uh, the Celtics kind of used the team effort to get past them. Kemba Walker had 17 as well. And the Celtics bench did a a really good job last night, and and they win this one. And look, you know, the Celtics are better than 14 and 13. That's what they are right now. And you say, well, how can they be better than 14? That is what they are what they are. But I'm telling you. When all is said and done, I think the Celtics, you know, whether they make a trade to get a big man uh, or whether it's still a matter of some guys getting their legs underneath them, like Jason Tatum, like Kemba Walker, who had the knee surgery, you know, maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Uh, The Celtics played last night without Daniel Tice. He's got a finger injury. That didn't help. Of course, they still don't have Marcus Smart. He's out for a little while. Uh, but they need a big man. But they're better than 14 and 13, and I think they're going to be fine. And and I said some guys getting their legs under them. You know, Walker, you can understand because he was out with the surgery. But Jason Tatum uh, talked last night in the postgame press conference about how he is still suffering effects from having the coronavirus. Uh, he tested positive last month, you know, and he said, you know, even after recovering, that he finds himself still getting tired. You know, he said there are just some, he said he's experienced some games where he said, you know, I, I don't want to say I was struggling to breathe, but I got fatigued a lot quicker 
than normal. And he has found that his legs, um, you know, aren't as uh, as powerful or as strong as they were in some games. And and it, he thinks it's a direct result of the coronavirus. And look, who's to say it's not? I mean, look, you know, this thing's killed almost half a million people across the country. Um, and some of the people that have gotten it, you know, talk about, you know, they thought it was the closest they were ever going to come to dying. Well, a guy I went to college with, my age, he's, well, he's a year older. He's 61 years old. And uh, he talked about this, um, you know, on a, on a Facebook group that I'm involved in uh, for graduates of our school. And he's like, look, uh, I mean, this is a guy that was in the hospital. He thought he was he was done. You know, and he's out and he's recovering and he was able to take a bike ride with his wife the other day. And he says, this is the thing, you know, that has made me appreciate life more. It took until I'm 61, but now I suddenly realize how quickly it can be over. He said it was probably the scariest moment of his life or, or moments of his life because, you know, when he was going through that, he was really, really sick. You know, my wife, uh, one of the district managers for Home Depot, young guy. You know, a guy in his early 40s, married, kids, got diagnosed with the coronavirus last week, was dead three days later. I mean, so, it, you know, this it, this is no joke. You know, so if, if Jason Tatum says he's still suffering from the effects of having that and recovering from it, and this is a guy who is a professional athlete, I can absolutely believe it. Absolutely. Um, so, now... 17th of February, it's the first day of baseball spring training and the official start of my favorite time of the year. Uh, there are there To me, there are two sports seasons. There is baseball season, and there is waiting for baseball season. <laughs> you know, I love all sports, but there is no sport that I love more than the game of baseball. Uh, why? For people that say, well, it's boring, and, you know, you just don't, you don't get it. But you know you haven't you don't understand the nuances of the game all the strategy of the game and not only that you get to watch it you get to to be involved in it every day it's 162 games plus the play it's every day and it's from the time i was a young man i have never not loved the game of baseball i can't watch enough baseball my wife can, <laughs> you know, and you know, the fact that I, you know, I, I have an MLB TV subscription, so I have access to every game every day across the country. It's Nirvana for me. So it begins today. Pitchers and catchers officially report, uh, to Red Sox, Yankee spring training. Uh, a lot of the other camps will open today or in the next day or two, but this is it. Here we go. And, uh, you know, we'll be baseball heavy here for the next uh, several months. Uh, so for those of you that hate baseball, I apologize, and I hope you'll stick with us, and I hope I'll have enough other stuff to keep you interested if you don't like baseball. Or I'll try to make baseball interesting for you. How about that? Uh, but it's obviously, we know it's going to be different. Spring training is going to be very, very different for these players. Now, they got through the first few weeks of spring training last year before it got shut down for the pandemic. And then, of course, they went into hibernation, for the better part of four months before they did another abbreviated spring training and that 60-game disastrous season. Um, but this one's going to be different from day one. What does that mean? Well, every day when the players get to the park, they're going to have their temperature taken. Uh, 
you know, their their locker room. You know, you're used to having the lockers right next to each other. Not going to be. Everybody's six feet apart. Not only that, they're going to have plastic uh, plexiglass partitions between each locker, which means they're not going to be able to put as many people in the locker room, so they're going to have an auxiliary, it's easy for me to say, locker room on another part of the ballpark for the guys that might be the guys that are just invited to spring training, you know, prospects or guys that are getting tryouts. They'll be kind of off to the side where the uh, the guys on the 40-man roster will all be together uh, but a distance apart. Uh, they are going to allow fans, at least in a lot of the facilities. Now, the Red Sox are going to allow 25% capacity. What does that mean? It means about 2,500 fans. JetBlue Park seats about 10,000. They're going to allow 2,500. Um, but it's going to be different there, too. You have to wear a mask all the time except when you're actively eating or drinking. Um, you have to uh, – no cash. If you want to go to the game, your tickets are going to be all digital. You're going to scan your phone to get in. Uh, you can't bring in bags other than a diaper bag for a kid or a medical bag or a very small purse. Um, if you buy food, it has to be with a debit card or a credit card. Um, it, they're not going to be, uh, and, and it has to be done from your seat. Uh, there's not going to be, uh, or you have to eat at your seat. There's not going to be people walking around the park selling hot dogs. So if you want something, they're going to have local vendors set up. You got to go there. You give them your debit card. You get your food. You have to go back to your seat. You can't stand around in the concourse. You can't wander around. You go to If you have to go to the bathroom, you go to the bathroom, you come right back to your seat. So they're not going to allow a lot of people to mill around. They're trying to keep the exposure down to a minimum. It makes perfect sense to me. Look, again, you know, people are going to say, wow, what do you mean I can't do this? Hey, look, be fortunate uh, or be happy that you can go at all. You know, one of the other things, uh, a big thing at spring training is, you know, when you go to a ballpark, a minor league ballpark, you have the main sta- stadium where the game is. But then they have backfields you know, off to the side and to the back where other things go on. Um, you know, where some of the prospects are getting some extra work in or maybe, uh, you know, Chris Sale as he's rehabbing from uh, his Tommy John surgery might be back there throwing. Fans go back there all the time uh, with a chance to, you know, maybe get an autograph or, or get closer to the players. That's not going to happen. Uh, there'll be no open houses that they normally have, no ballpark tours, uh, it, you know, it's it's going to be different, but it's going to be baseball, and there's going to be fans. Uh, so, I can't wait. First spring training games are in 11 days. February 28th, the spring training games kick off. That's the other thing that will be different this year. You know how traditionally uh, a lot of the teams have games against college programs. You know, like uh, the Red Sox traditionally play Northeastern every year at spring training. That's not going to happen this year either. And uh, as we talked about yesterday, they're going to limit the amount of traveling. Uh, now everything is going to be within an hour or so, and between an hour, hour and a half. So the Red Sox will not play the Yankees because the Fort Myers to Tampa bus trip is two and a half to three hours. They're not going to allow that. Uh, so, you know, so the Red Sox will only have about five different opponents in spring training, but who cares? Who cares? We're just happy. <laughs> Just be happy there's games. Uh, the Red Sox announced the official signing of uh, the Japanese relief pitcher 
uh, Hurakazu Sawamura on Tuesday. It's a two-year contract uh, through 2022, and there is a club and player option for the 2023 season. Uh, it's going to be about $2.4 million with some incentives. Uh, Salamora is not a young kid. He's 32 years old. He's got a great fastball throws in the mid to upper 90s. Also has a splitter. Um, but his results in Japan last year uh, were mixed at best. I mean, he started the year with the Yumori Giants, uh, got shelled. He only pitched 13 innings for them at an ERA of six, got demoted. Uh, then eventually got traded middle of the season. Uh, and uh, with his new club, he pitched much better. In 21 innings, he had an ERA of about 1.7. Uh, struck out 29 guys in 21 innings. So, you know, he's going to give the Red Sox some depth. Now he's going to be on the, with, with what they're paying him. Uh, he's going to be on the team. We'll see what he can give them. Look, the Red Sox have had some decent decent success with some Japanese pitcher. He, we, of course, we all remember uh, Koji Uehara, who was their closer for a few years on a World Series championship team. We all remember Dice K. Matsuzaka uh, uh, was okay for a couple of years. Hideki Okajima was a good reliever for the Red Sox for a number of years. Uh, Hideo Nomo was with the Red Sox for one year. Remember him? He pitched a no-hitter for the Red Sox back in 2001. Uh, so, you know, the Red Sox have had decent success. And uh, take a flyer. What the heck? It's, you know, really, if you're paying the guy, what, $2.4 million, it's not like it's going to break the bank. <laughs> Although, I, I would love somebody to only pay me $2.4 million. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? At least for me. It's uh, 45 minutes past the hour. We've got to take another break. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. 47 minutes past the hour. The uh, Red Sox made a trade just a few minutes ago. Uh, this one's hot off the presses. Uh, not exactly an earth-shattering trade, but uh, a trade nonetheless. They traded Chris Mazza and Jeffrey Springs, a couple of pitchers, to the Tampa Bay Rays. In return, uh, they get catcher Ronaldo Hernandez and another prospect. Uh, they had just designated... Uh, springs for assignment the Red Sox had because uh, to make room for Sawamura, uh, the Japanese pitcher they just signed. Uh, Hernandez, the kid they're getting back from Tampa, is from Columbia. He's 23 years old. He was actually on Tampa Bay's 40-man roster. Um, and uh, he is in the top 100, according to Baseball America. He's 56th on Baseball America's top 100 list uh, of top prospects. He hit 293 last year uh, with an 802 OPS. Um and is a very good defensive catcher. He In the minor leagues, he has thrown out about 46% of the base dealers uh, that have tried to, uh, to swipe a bag against him. Uh, supposedly, the other prospect they're going to get back is probably going to be Nick Sogard, uh, another young kid, a 23-year-old switch hitter, uh, 12th-round pick by the, uh, by the Rays out of Loyola Marymount back in 2019. Um, so, again, uh, infielder. Uh, somebody that uh, the Red Sox need some depth on the infield, especially with the uh, prospects at second base. They, they, all the depth they can get is better. So uh, the Sox making a trade uh, this morning to, uh, to get them some depth at both catching uh, and the middle infield. Uh, some other news around Major League Baseball. Matt Shoemaker has signed a one-year deal with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, he's 34 years old. Uh, has had a number of injuries the last few years, but a guy that's got great stuff. Uh, pitched for Toronto last year. This is a guy that broke into the, onto the scene back in 2014. He went, I think, uh, 
I don't know. His, he had a ridiculous record. I want to say it was 16-4 and four when he, when he uh, made his debut with the Angels back in 2014. Uh, but since then, he has had a number of injuries, uh, especially with his forearm. And uh, he had a torn ACL that ended his season uh, in 2019. And he missed a bunch of time last year with shoulder inflammation. So, you know, this is just a guy that uh, can't seem to stay healthy. But if he is, this is a guy that if he's your fifth starter on the Minnesota Twins and he's healthy, you are absolutely thrilled. Uh, so uh, Shoemaker gets the one-year deal. Uh, it's only for $2 million bucks, and he'll uh, pitch for the Minnesota Twins this year. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies have invited Odubel Herrera to camp. He is one of their 31 non-roster players that's been invited to spring training. Uh, Herrera is Philly property already. All right, he he's going to make 10 million bucks this season, even if he doesn't play. He had he didn't play last year. Matter of fact, he hasn't played since the middle of 2019 when he was suspended under the domestic violence policy that Major League Baseball has. Uh, the charges that were leveled against Herrera were dismissed, but he was still removed from the team's 40-man roster last year, and he was not part of their player pool for the shortened season last year. Uh, so he will, uh, you know, look, this is a guy, if he's got his act together, this is a guy that can be a valuable member. Uh, guy's got some pop. He's a good center fielder. Uh, so if, uh, you know, if he's able to make the team out of spring training, uh, that makes the Phillies that much better. Um, the Atlanta Braves yesterday won their arbitration case against Dansby Swanson. Swanson was looking for $6.7 million in arbitration. And I'm sure we all feel sorry for him to find out he's only going to make 6 million. So he lost uh, $700,000. Uh, but, uh, he's, 27-year-old hit 274 last year, 10 homers, 35 runs, batted in. Look, this is a guy who was uh, the number one overall pick uh, a few years ago. And uh, he has turned out to be a, a pretty good pretty good shortstop. You know, and I don't think uh, his numbers are, you know, he's 27 now. I don't think his numbers are ever going to be what you might expect out of the number one overall pick, but still a, a solid shortstop. But he loses his arbitration case and uh, loses about $700,000. Uh, a couple of other notes uh, in the Australian Open. Uh, Ash Barty, the uh, the top-ranked player in the Australian Open, lost in the quarterfinals today. Uh, she lost to the 25th seed, uh, Carolina Muchova of the Czech Republic. Uh, so Barty trying to be the first Australian to win um, uh, the title at home, a Grand Slam tournament in Australia since Chris O'Neill did it back in 1978, uh, loses in three sets, so uh, uh, she does not make it into the quarterfinals. Kind of, I'll tell you what, it makes the path for Serena Williams. Well, she's got one big hurdle left. She has to. Serena Williams has to play uh, Naomi Osaka uh, in the semifinals, uh, the number three seed. But if she does that, uh, the path to the next Grand Slam tournament for the 37-year-old Serena Williams uh, has just gotten a little bit easier. Um. Phil Mickelson is uh, talking, I guess, to a lot of the TV networks about uh, possibly getting a TV analyst job. You know, look, you can't blame him. He's now on the senior tour. Uh, he's 50 years old, not playing very well. He did not make the cut in the uh, tournament last week at Pebble Beach. Uh, lefty loves to talk. Uh, smart guy. I think he'd be a great analyst. 
but uh, he, he tell you one thing I can tell you: if he does that, he's not going to be cheap. Uh, you know, now, you know, he did do some work last year for CBS with Jim Nance and Nick Faldo. Uh, you know, I don't know where he would fit in. I mean, look, Nick Faldo is the lead analyst for CBS. Paul Azinger is the leading analyst for NBC. So I'm not sure where Mickelson would fit in. Uh, I can't imagine either one of those networks dropping their top guy for Mickelson. So they'd have to try to, you know, figure out how they're going to do that. But uh, interesting, interesting. I always like Phil Mickelson, one of the nicest guys I ever met. I met him um, at the tournament here in Hartford a couple of times. And a great guy. And we'll leave you this morning on a lighter note. How about this? Uh, Joe Buck, the Fox announcer, and he's a very polarizing figure. I love him on football. I don't like him on baseball. But having said that, uh, he did a podcast with Colin Cowherd the other day, and he actually admitted that he and his broadcast partner, Troy Aikman, have uh, enjoyed the occasional tequila cocktail <laughs> while, uh, while doing games. He said, uh, he said, uh, he was talking about building chemistry. He said, it's, uh, he said a lot of times I'll have like, uh, uh, tequila with a splash of Grand Marnier and grapefruit juice. Uh, he said, you know, he said, look, he said, it's, uh, he said, it's kind of a way of just chilling out. He said, it's a good mental trigger to just chill and remind yourself that you're not refueling an F-16 in mid-flight. You're doing a sporting event. I love that. Now, I, uh, I have probably called, uh, you know, a thousand games in my life. I have never had a drink while doing it. But, God, I can't tell you the number of times that I've been doing a game that I wish I could. And so, Joe Buck opening up that he and Troy Aikman have done that on the air. I think, I think that is just oh, that's awesome and actually makes me like the guy a little bit more. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call uh, we'll leave you this morning in honor of Joe Buck and Troy Aikman's uh, occasional imbibing on the air. We'll leave you with some music from Luke Bryan and one margarita this morning. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.